Probably the easiest and most reductive uh, interpretation of the scripture is to just say, you know, be careful because you might go to hell. And um, I want to explain why that uh, is reductive. Um, it's too simple. And it's also likely not what Jesus was getting at. So the first thing we have to remember is that anytime we're particularly hearing the gospels, we have to remember that in context, he was, it was, you know, a proclamation. He was speaking, right? And so sometimes when we read something written down from a speech, we lose all the context. We, le we lose the, the inflection of the voice. We, you know, it, it can be difficult to really understand some of the emphasis, etc. And we know this from experience. Like how many times have we texted somebody, you know, we text them and, and there's complete confusion or an email, you know, we text them and they're like, hey, what are you angry about? And they're like, no, the, cap the caps just got locked. I, you know, I'm not yelling. I just, I don't know how to work my phone, you know, because you're a baby boomer. Anyway, but or whatever it is, you know, we understand how something can be written down and misinterpreted. Very often orally, it, it's contextualized and, and it can make more sense. So there's a number of ways we can look at this because you know, obviously, Jesus, who speaks the majority of the time about God's pervasive love and mercy and goodness, to be this strong, what would cause that? Well, there's a couple of things we might think of. For one thing, the person asking him might have felt very righteous, self-righteous, you know, and he might have been kind of wanting the Lord to damn all of the other people who weren't working as hard as him. And the Lord was turning the tables on him and saying, you know, you might think you're going to get in, but maybe some of those other people are going to get in and not you. It's a rhetorical device, right? It's to use uh, sort of uh, strong language to get a point across, particularly to him or to the hearers who were there. Furthermore, remember that the, uh, the Jews were God's chosen people. And very often in the Gospels, it, were, it was the Jews who weren't really coming to faith in Jesus. They were the ones doubting the most. And we have all these examples of non-Jews coming to faith before the Jews. And of course, the Jews thought they, and they did, they had this special relationship with God that no other culture had uh, yet experienced. And so maybe they were, you know, as a group, they were feeling more justified. And again, the Lord is saying, hey, it may not turn out like you think. You got to work at it. Or maybe one of the more simpler ways of looking at it is, you know, Jesus is just simply saying, to be in heaven, you have to know me. It's not enough to just show up in life. God wants a relationship. He wants to know you. And so, you know, if we were to put this into a modern context, well, you know, God, I, I went to church every Sunday. Yeah, but I didn't know you. What do you mean you didn't know me? You saw me there. I didn't know you. You went through the motions. Everything looked okay from the outside. You know, well, I was a good, I was a good person kind of thing, but you didn't know Jesus. And this is what he's after. He's after our hearts. He's after relationship. That's what he wants. So when reflecting upon this, I also, it brought to mind uh, some studies that have been done about religious practices in the United States. And um, we're told that 
you know, the largest group um, by population um, are Catholics. And we're often told that the second largest grouping of religious are former Catholics. It's really interesting. Um, but even more interesting than that is what they report as to the reason that they're former Catholics. And it's not the things you would suspect. You know, the mean nun in grade school, no. Um, some of the scandalous stuff, there's always plenty, no. The, the main reason they reported um, why they left the Catholic Church is because they didn't know Jesus. They weren't being fed. And they themselves did not know Jesus, which is an incredible indictment as the Catholic Church, none of the Protestant denominations have the real presence of Christ brought to the people every single Sunday. We have the greatest manifestation of, of God in, in the world, in existence, as a Catholic church, and yet people are willing to leave despite that because they don't know Jesus. And so I think it's good for us to reflect, as opposed to saying, oh, those bad people, I don't like to see it that way, um, especially because I'm looking to catch fish, right? I'm looking to bring people back. So for me, I ask the question, what can we do? How can we help each other know Christ? It's not enough to just go, go to mass and receive Eucharist. So what the church teaches about, and I think this is helpful to elucidate how we can, we can look at this. The church teaches that in the liturgy, in the mass, there are four ways in which Jesus is made known. Jesus is made present. So you're gonna know when my homily's almost over when I get to number four, if you're keeping track. But anyway, so we look at the first two. I wanna put the first two together. The first two are the assembly and the priest. And the reason why I wanna include me with you is because I don't wanna be that distinct from you. I mean, I know I have a job to do and I know that you know, this is what I do. It's not lost on me, but I just feel like a regular guy who, who got this job somehow. I don't know how it happened, but um, I don't want to see myself so separate from you. But anyway, every single one of us, by virtue of our baptism, share in the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, if we're baptized. And so what that means is that we sanctify, we bring to one another, we sanctify one another, we bring to one another Jesus. So there is great great good in what we do together. As I was um, going down to the doctor's office on Thursday, he said, you better come down just in case it's COVID. We got to test you. I'm like, I've already tested me three times. He's like, come down. So I went down and the whole, driving down, I'm thinking, I don't want to miss mass. I mean, just to get a little soft on you, I, I didn't want to miss you. This really is the best part of my week, spending this time with you. It's true. And so I'm just dreading a pot, not because of any other fear I had, but I was just dreading not being able to come, which I think is a good sign. I mean, it's probably better if, better, you know, than the, the opposite. Father John doesn't want to be here, you know. But I get so much strength and goodness from you 
it's so uplifting to be with you. I just really, really love it. And I think a lot of people feel the same about each other, right? The great good that we share being with one another, singing together, being vibrant, being joyful, being welcoming. And this community is that. You're already that. And I think we're just becoming more and more and more that loving community where people feel welcome. There's so much good that you can do for those around you. You don't know what the person next to you is going through. I, I might have more of, indication, of an indication there are people here whose, whose loved ones have just died and they're sitting right next to you and it's all they could do to get here. There's families who, you know, moms and dads who, who are, you know, they're getting their kids here and they're doing the best they can and sometimes the kids get a little, you know, rambunctious. You know, the charity we show and the patience we show with one another in that, the support, it means so much. Right? Even afterward, before and afterward, the joy we share, just eating donuts and having fun and relaxing, it's, it nourishes. It's a safe place for all of us be, to be nourished, right? to kind of get away from the junk that's out there and to be really ministered to. So what we do together is crucial. You know, and of course, I was called by God to share in the ministerial priesthood, and so I do this, and I, I offer sacrifice for all of you, right? And, and, and bring forth, Jesus through me brings forth the Eucharist. So those are the two ways initially, the assembly and the priest, Jesus is made known. We are ministering, we are making known Jesus to one another. Now the next one is the word. Right? The word, Jesus is present in the word. He is the word of God, the logos spoken from all time. And so the word is proclaimed and we respond to that first reading and we sing. And as we're singing, we are proclaiming the word of God through the psalm response. Right? The gospel is proclaimed and then it's my job to do the best I can to break open the word, to try to nourish you with the word. Right? It's, a, it's a responsibility I, I take very, very seriously to try, try to do the best that I can so that you can, as opposed to dreading the, the homily, like how long is it going to be? Uh, now he's got to talk. You know, I've been to those masses. And I remember what it was like sitting out there. Right? And so it's my responsibility to do the best that I can so that you are nourished. Do you remember the, uh, the story of the road to Emmaus? So right after Jesus rose from the dead, there's his two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, his Easter time, walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears in their midst. They don't really recognize him yet. He hasn't made them know, himself known. They tell him what happened in Jerusalem. And so he says, you know, or he starts to explain to them that what happened in Jerusalem was the fulfillment of all that the prophets had foretold. In other words, he breaks open the word to them. And then they get to Emmaus and they're sitting around the fire and he takes the bread and he breaks the bread and then they see him. Then he's revealed as the Christ. The, the obviousness there to the comparison to the liturgy that the word is spoken and even the disciples themselves said, were not our hearts burning as he explained the scriptures? And that burning of the heart opened them up to receive the Holy Eucharist. 
You can't have a mass without the readings. You can't have the liturgy of the Eucharist without the liturgy of the word. It's, they're both necessary to have a mass. I can't just skip to the, you know, hey, it's football season soon. Can we just do the liturgy of the Eucharist? There's part of me that would like that to be the case, but it's not the case. We need the word to be broken open so that our hearts are opened to receive the graces that are given to us in the Eucharist. And then, of course, the fourth way that Jesus is revealed, made present in the Mass, is the Eucharist. The most august presence of God that we will ever experience in this life is in the Eucharist. But it's set up from all of the other. It doesn't exist on its own, right? It's, it's buoyed, it's uplifted by the community, by the priest, by the word, and then we're prepared to really divest ourselves of what God wants to give us in the Eucharist. And what he wants to give us is himself in a way that the word can't quite get to, although it's so powerful and strong. The Eucharist, Jesus manifests his very being within our souls. There's so many ways that we can know Jesus in the mass and we do it together. This is not something we merely show up for, we punch our holy card and we go off, me and Jesus. It's us, it's all of us, it's us with Jesus. Made present here is the, the sacrifice of Calvary which happened in time, but it also happened in eternity because Jesus was also God, he is eternal, he is divine. So his actions had an eternal value or reality. So the sacrifice on Calvary is made present on this altar. How does that happen? We don't really know, because, but God said that this is what we do and this is what happens. And so we are able to be participating in that eternal sacrifice by which we have been redeemed. There is power, there is power and grace and goodness in the Eucharist. I'd like to invite you today um, to maybe make this come alive a bit more. Every single one of us carry burdens, heavy, heavy burdens. Even if you're little, even you little ones, you carry burdens and they're very real for you. And they're very, very real. And it, for an adult, it may not seem as, as big of a deal, but for you it is, and that's, that's okay. But every single one of us carry heavy burdens, difficulties. I'd like you to think of the one thing. And maybe it's something you've been carrying forever. Maybe it's something that just recently happened. Think of the one thing you want to offer God today. And when you come forward for communion, I want you to open your heart, invite him in, and invite him to help you carry that burden so that he might know you and you might know him. Please stand.